0: Here we go. It's Bible Study Wednesday on this August the 10th in the year of our Lord 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And as is our Bible study been going on for a few weeks, we're looking at the book of Proverbs by Solomon. We're going to be taking a look at chapter 11 right now and this is proverbs from solomon inspired by the holy spirit to give you an indication of the will of god uh, a lot of people sin today every one of us do by thought word or deed and a lot of times we don't realize it is a sin it's a sin because some people will say well maybe it's good business practice or some kind of other excuse But the fact of the matter is, is that God gives detailed instructions as to his wisdom, which is really the thinking of Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God, because he follows the will of the Father and is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So let's begin with chapter 11 of Proverbs, and we're looking at verse 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord. Now, what is that talking about? You see, the purpose of a pastor is not just to interpret the original languages of the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek. We learn that at the seminary, and that's very, very important because it makes a difference between a sermon that is kind of at a Sunday school level for young people versus a sermon with great ins and points that people do not recognize when they read the English. So the purpose of a pastor is to interpret the English translations on the basis of the original languages to help you understand what God is talking about. Now he says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. Is he talking about people who are able to walk and they keep a balance, they don't fall over all the time? Is that what he is talking about? The way you discover what he is talking about is first of all, take a look at the original language and this would be in the Hebrew and also the context. So let's look at the Hebrew first of all. The false balance really refers to a lever with two pans on each side of the lever. And what would happen is let's say you were buying grain from a farmer. The one side of the lever, you would put down a stone, maybe one pound in weight. And then on the other side, you would take the grain from the farmer until it would balance out the lever. And that way, you had a proper way of measuring. This was something that is well known in Jesus' day and even in the Old Testament that Solomon was writing. We also know from the context that that is what it's talking about. Because the first part of the verse says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. So the second part, namely a just weight, or another way of translating an accurate weight is not only just his delight, but is in his favor. He really favors merchants that have just weights, proper levers, so that way the farmer isn't cheated out of what he is bringing to sell to the merchant. Now, it says that this false balance, which would be a dishonest scale, is an abomination to the Lord. That phraseology occurs also elsewhere in the Bible. What is an abomination to the Lord? It is really a disgusting thing to the Lord. So not many of us use weights anymore to buy things from farmers, although some of us may if we're that kind of a merchant but we may cheat on our income tax. In fact, I I get a a newsletter from a professional income tax person, and in each newsletter, there are examples of people being put in jail or paying huge fines because they did not properly make out their income tax forms. They left out money that they were receiving And some people, the way they would do that, there was a painter, and he would only get cash from the people where he painted their homes. And, of course, he did not tell the IRS how much cash he was getting, and so he kept it low. What happens is, verse 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. Now, that's what the ESV says, but I'm not really too happy with that word pride because, yes, it can have a negative understanding, but it also has a positive understanding. For example, your son or your daughter may be in a sport, and they're very good at it, and you are proud of how well they do in that sport. That word pride or proud there is a positive thing. Now, also, it can be pride in a negative sense. Uh, A better translation is when arrogance comes, then comes disgrace. I was watching a movie, and a man was confessing his sins to a priest. And the priest said, well, you can be proud of what you do and work, just don't change it into arrogance. I thought it was really interesting that the priest understood the two different kinds of prides. And then comes disgrace. Now, that's from the word grace, obviously. And <clears throat> when God is gracious towards us, he gives us what we don't deserve. But if he is in disgrace towards us, then we receive the negative consequences of our sin. So when pride comes, which means arrogance in the Hebrew, then comes disgrace. And a lot of people have a lot of pride in what they do, but sometimes they fail, and then they feel they're disgraced. The verse goes on, but with the humble is wisdom. Now, What is meant by the humble? Those who have humility. Nobody had a greater humility than did Jesus. He was a God, he was the God, he was the Redeemer, he was the savior of the world, and yet he humbled himself by taking upon human flesh, being crucified, rising from the dead, and ascending into heaven. So Jesus is our example of proper humility. Verse 3 The integrity of the upright guides them. Now, what does that mean? That means the upright is referring to those who are righteous. Remember, upright, righteous. And their honesty is what guides them. What honesty? Their honesty in listening to Jesus Christ, God the Father and the Holy Spirit, and their wisdom, which comes to us through his holy word. In the Old Testament reading for this coming Sunday, God really... Is has an abomination against false prophets because they don't have an honesty of listening to God's word. Instead, they listen to their dreams that comes from within them, and they think that is equal to the word of God. And what happens is the second part of verse 3. But the crookedness... Of the treacherous destroys them. Now, that word crookedness only appears twice in Proverbs, here and in chapter 11, verse 54. But what it's talking about is, of course, the wickedness of the treacherous. Remember, the book of Proverbs categorizes every human being in two ways. Either you have wisdom and are therefore a believer in the promises of Jesus Christ, or you are foolish following the devil and you are crooked and therefore you get disgrace, you got sinful pride, and you use false weights, which are an abomination to the Lord. These things destroy. The crooked. And what it means by that is sometimes that occurs on earth, but it definitely occurs on the day of judgment when God does not permit them to enter into his heavenly realm, but they go where the devil is uh, to live a life which really is a death, separated from God forever and ever. Verse 4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. So how do we explain that? Well, how many people feel really rich? This was also the reading from the gospel for this coming Sunday, where a rich man had lots of harvest in his barns, but even more was grown. And so he says, what am I going to do? I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my old barns and put up new ones that are a lot bigger. And then I will be able to eat, drink, and be merry the rest of my life. And Jesus says, you fool. This night, God will remove you from the earth. And you will not be able to take any of your riches with you. So verse 4 Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. Another translation is in the day of fury. What's that talking about? It's talking about judgment day. And that's clear from the second part of verse 4. But righteousness delivers from death. Or another way of translating but the righteous are saved from death. Now you may ask, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who's saved from death? Sinners. We all die. So how can you say that we're delivered or saved from death? Because as Jesus told Martha when he came to raise Lazarus from the dead, if you believe in me, you will never die. You may die in the flesh, where your body ceases to exist and is buried, but the spirit does not die. It's taken to be with Jesus and the body restored on the day of judgment, or the day of wrath for those who are unbelievers. But on that day, the righteous will be saved from eternal death. And that's what verse 4 is talking about in Proverbs 11. Going to verse 5. The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight. Now, that was a word that we got picked up from last week, that the righteous in God's sight are blameless. A lot of Christians don't recognize that. Because they recognize how sinful they are. And many of them worry about the day they're going to die. Will they really go to heaven or not? That is a worry that the devil puts within them. But God says, no. When you believe the promises of Jesus, now this is very important. When you believe, not when you do good works. When you believe the promises of Jesus, therefore, you are blameless in the eyes of God. That means he does not hold you accountable for your sin. How can he do that? If he is a just God, how is he able to not hold you accountable for sins of thought, word, and deed? Because Jesus is pays the punishment for those sins on the cross. Remember the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, Jesus was the greatest sinner of all people on that cross, taking away, as John the Baptist says, our sins of thought, word, and deed, our sins of the past, the present, and the future. Only Christianity teaches that a a, a person is saved not by his works, but through faith. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't do good works. In fact, the works you do aren't even considered by God as good works that you're doing from yourself. They're considered as the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And, and therefore, this is a wonderful life that the Christian can live. So, when you are righteous, believing in Jesus, you are not only considered blameless, but you can keep your path straight, listening to Jesus and following his word. And when you do not follow his word, when you sin, there is repentance which means you are indeed sorry for what you've done and ask for forgiveness. In contrast to the latter part of verse 5, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. So you've got the righteousness of the blameless, and that's referring to those who are justified by faith. Through Jesus Christ verse 6 starts the same way but rather than the righteousness of the blameless it says the righteousness of the upright delivers them or saves them so who are the upright again notice that it's got the word right in it righteousness And the righteousness of the upright are those who can stand before God and actually speak to him like Moses did on Mount Sinai. Except in heaven, we will see face-to-face Jesus Christ and be with him forever. So that righteousness of the upright, which really is referring to the fruit of the Holy Spirit, That begins with faith in the words of Jesus and then in making sure you have a proper weight, a proper balance, not to cheat people out of their money. But then the second part of verse 6, again, distinguishes the righteous from the unbeliever. It says, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. Now verse three talked about the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. So how are the treacherous taken captive by their lust? Well, a better word than lust or better translation would be by their desires. Your old Adam desires secular things. Your old Adam desires the world of the flesh rather than the world of the spirit. The old Adam does not keep one's eyes fixed on heaven and looking to Jesus for our comfort, but looks to our own works and our own desires to make us happy. In fact, a lot of people say that, that the purpose of, of being in the United States is to have happiness. And they think that that means a fulfillment of their selfish desires. But when they do that, they're taken captive. As verse seven says, when the wicked dies, his hope will perish. That means he has no hope after he dies. The word hope here is referring to our assurance that we will be saved in heaven. And that perishes for the wicked because they don't believe in heaven. They don't believe in God properly. And therefore, not only will their hope perish, but the second part of verse 7, and the expectation of wealth perishes also. In other words, the word wealth there can be understood as man's strength. And a lot of people think their strength is their money. But the confidence in one's own strength therefore perishes when the wicked dies because he has no faith in the proper God and no faith in the words of the gospel. Verse 8. The righteous is delivered from trouble and the wicked walks into it instead. Now that's really a wonderful promise because what does it mean that the righteous is delivered from trouble? We, we often have trouble as righteous. We may be short on money. We may not have a place to live. We may have a broken marriage or a family in problems. So a better translation than the righteous is delivered is the righteous is rescued from trouble. In other words, anything that happens to us is according to God's will, but for the righteous, the believer, we are always rescued from whatever is in our path. Every one of the apostles, except for John, were martyred. They had trouble. But on their martyrdom, they were rescued and taken into heaven. But the wicked walks into trouble again and again. Verse 9, with his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. But by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. So godless people, those are unbelievers. We talked about this in the previous chapter where the mouth can be either saying good things or bad things. But the godless man, the profane man, loves to destroy his neighbor because that looks better to himself. In contrast, to the righteous who have the knowledge of God and are therefore delivered from the sin of destroying one's neighbor. Verse 10, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. This is really important to understand that those who are the righteous bring prosperity to a city. Now, what is the city referring to? Remember, Jerusalem was a great city, and that became the holy Christian church in our minds and in our hearts. So when it goes well with the righteous, namely those in congregations, The whole congregation rejoices as the prospects of the righteous are wonderful. But when the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. You know, you have people who are wicked and bad things happen to them. And people sometimes are joyous when that occurs while they're getting what they deserve. Verse 11 kind of continues. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted or raised up. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is torn down. It is overthrown. And therefore, God is saying, verse 12, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. So maybe you know something about your neighbor that others don't know but when you tell others about that and belittle your neighbor you are lacking sense but a man of understanding remains silent what does that mean we understand people and we need to realize that there is a confidence that many people put in us we may even know of their sins but we do not spread that around to others. That's the worst thing a pastor can do, is he tells everybody about everybody's other sins. Because verse 13, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. In other words, he betrays confidence. But he who is trustworthy in spirit Keeps a thing confidential. So those are some excellent points that Jesus Christ as wisdom provides us in Proverbs chapter 11. And God willing, we'll be taking a look at more of these in the coming weeks. I'm Tom Baker. Join us tomorrow for another edition of Law and Gospel. God bless you.